Welcome back to Cairo Nights. Spike O'Neill along with Matt Butler. So, what version is this? This is the original from the Drifters. Okay. Wow. Worst backup uh, singers of all time. The Drifters? As backup singers on this particular song. Oh, okay. I mean, hold on. Yeah, it's pretty weak. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if I ever heard a version of this prior to George Benson. You know? I mean, Matt, I, I, you always do this. That's great. I, I, you always make me smarter than when I showed up. It's our daily mission here for me to be smarter than when I walk in the door. And we know it's a low bar to get over, so don't, don't, <laughs> don't feel too proud there, my friend. Uh, you heard the story of the Tesla recall, right? That Tesla is uh, updating their systems. Now, when Tesla recalls vehicles, and they're recalling a, a wide variety of, of models over a wide uh, range of years. And is this just a software update? That will keep it, and it's to keep the automated driving systems from speeding, if I heard the story correctly. And I, I wonder about, you know, self-driving cars. Uh, I, I heard, uh, I heard someone. I think it was G. Scott on with Mike, uh, Mike Lewis this morning, talking about how Tesla. This is, you know, an, another embarrassment for Tesla. No, and I think it was G. was saying this is Tesla constantly updating their system, making sure. Their vehicles are as safe as possible. Doesn't have to be bad news for Tesla. I can totally respect that point of view. I know that uh, there's a robo taxis now that Amazon is testing in our in markets in our market. I think too. I don't know about robo taxis though. I mean, robo taxis to me is a scene out of Total Recall, where you hop into the Johnny Cab and Johnny Cab loses its marbles and. Something goes sideways and you can't get out of Johnny Cab. You're doing 95 mile an hour on the side street. I could see it working in areas where there was limited to no traffic in specific geographic areas or like downtowns that were more closed off to cars like they do in parts of Europe. Ah, okay. Um, in the case of the Amazon test, they're testing it as a shuttle between two different offices within a mile of each other. That's, that's, so as see, a shuttle, smart. it kind of does make sense. Yeah, especially if you're going to risk only Amazon employees, both inside the, the Johnny Cab and outside the Johnny Cab. If it runs amok and runs over somebody, it's running over Amazon employees. But I would say as a mark of courage, shouldn't uh, the CEO take it first? Yes, thank you. <laughs> I, I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah, and they should run shuttles between the offices of the CEOs only, exclusively, down their own, like, CEO lane. Well, I don't think anybody's going to make him come into the office. It's just the other word. I mean, that's the truth. (laughs) Uh, You know, folks who have been lucky enough to maintain working from home, I know that we all, during the pandemic, had the opportunity to work remotely for public safety reasons. And we're not going to debate whether or not the right moves were made, what mistakes were made. Of course, some mistakes were made during the pandemic. They were made on the side of caution. We now have the benefit of hindsight to see where we maybe were overprotective, probably were overprotective in a lot of instances regarding the pandemic and how we handle it. But given the information we had at the time, we made the best decision with what information was available to err on the the side of caution with regard to public safety. And I'll respect those decisions forever. But folks, now it's time to get back to work. You know, uh, was it uh, Disney first was the one saying you got to be back in town, uh, back in office three hours a day. Amazon's doing it now. You have to be back into office 
so many hours a day. Microsoft did it recently for four, four days a week, not hours a day, days a week, I should be saying, not hours a day. When I took the job that I held last year, prior to getting back on the air here at Cairo, um, I was uh, selling advertising for a television station in Portland. And I took the job when it was a remote, exclusively remote position. I would have to make uh, cold calls, phone calls, and have Zoom meetings with businesses in Portland to handle their television advertising. Right after I took the job, the company that uh, owned the station and owned, you know, one of the largest uh, television station ownership groups in America, they own stations here in Seattle. They changed their policy to a return to on-site, in-person work. And this was in, ooh, July of 21. You know, that was, so this was a while ago. This was when we were really first starting to come back to work. They were one of the first people to do so, first companies to do so on a nationwide, company-wide basis. And the reason that they did this was to foster a sense of teamwork and creativity, as well as efficiency and productivity. Because when we work remote, there are benefits, of course, um, but there are, there are definitely limitations and downfalls to remote work. The sense of being in an office, collaboration, ease of uh, finding out information. Instead of three, four different emails to find something out, you got off from your desk, walked around the corner, poked your head in somebody else's office and asked a question, got the answer, came back, you were done. It didn't take a series of emails. People were doing other things or out of the office and it took all day to find out one simple thing that could have taken you two seconds to find out. And there's a sense of not just teamwork and collaboration, there's a sense of camaraderie that comes with working on site with a team. And not everybody's lucky enough to have the ability to work remotely. Production and service industries never had a chance to work remotely or stay home and be safe. Grocers, service industry, manufacturing, all those jobs worked straight through. Service jobs like uh, the fire police departments, they all worked straight through at the personal risk of their safety to keep us moving forward. And that's from a safety perspective, from uh, productivity and efficiency, living. We couldn't have made it through without the people who worked through the pandemic. Wouldn't you think, though, speaking of this whole work from home thing, wouldn't you think that people would be pro at least a lot of other people working from home because they hate traffic? So if more people worked from home, there would be fewer commuters, which a lot of people would really love. And that's not just a hypothetical. You're, you're absolutely right. It's not just a hypothetical. There were days when, I mean, when the pandemic was at its height and most folks weren't working in the office. It was like 1989 out there on the streets of Seattle. The, f- the traffic volumes were 30 years ago. It was wonderful. Everywhere was a 20, 25 minute commute again. No matter where you needed to go, it was, it was great. You could zip around town. Speaking from personal experience, and those are my own, my own time frames, your actual time to work may vary. <laughs> I, and I think that there will be an element where we will still not all return to work on site all the time. I mean, they're talking about three days a week here, four days a week there. You know, we've been talking about four-day work weeks before and how you can have a rotating one day off. That would eliminate the traffic volume by 20% right there. If everybody worked four-day weeks and a 20% had Monday off, 20% had Tuesday off, whatever it was, we could start to reduce the amount of cars on our roads. We wouldn't have to tax people or or fee people out of their cars, which is what we always try to do, 
make it such a horrible financial decision to drive your own vehicle that you just surrender and take public transportation. We could maybe eliminate some of the congestion by just limiting some of the people on the road, by letting some of the people keep working remotely all the time, or at least a portion of their work schedule. And that's really what we're talking about now. We're not talking about 100% back in office for 100% of the companies. That's that's never going to happen again. Companies found they need less space when folks can work remotely. There's lower cost of doing business, less office space, less resources for the people who are in the office doing the job. You know, if you can get some of your workforce to work remotely, the cost of doing business drops, and that's good for business. Aren't a lot of people's objections to remote work, though, based on... That happened in some instances. Of course it did. A lot of jobs don't give you the luxury of slacking off to that degree, and you actually had to work from home. And they found out that we could. You ever feel like a lot of this is just projection? Like people like, you know, other people who aren't even in that situation going, I'm against remote work. They need to get their lazy butts back in the office. Absolutely. I think sometimes it's projection because we're projecting our worst qualities. We know or we believe the human race is inclined to just be lazy. So we're going to assume that that's how most people operate, which is not fair, but I think it's where it stems from. I think it's it's a genuine assessment of human nature and some of it's jealousy. I don't get to work remotely. Why should they get to stay in their pajamas and slippers? I don't get to do that. That's the same mentality we bring to the debt relief of, of student loan debt. I paid mine. Why shouldn't they have to pay yours? Well, you know, God, God, you suffered. Why shouldn't anybody else, really? That's why you want to go through life? That's a terrible administration got from that. Everything was getting shot down. I think pigeons were shot down. But now that we've kind of cooled our heels a little bit, calmer heads will prevail, it's still it's a bad week to uh, to launch a, dro- a drone store. I give you that, but there'll be a time soon when drone drone activity and balloon activity will return to normal. We'll dial down the death rays from you know from the ground to anything that's moving that we don't know what it is. Boy, I heard somebody today say, and I couldn't believe he said it. I'm tempted to launch a balloon just to see if they spend four hundred thousand dollars to shoot it down. And I'm like, oh my gosh, really? Don't be that guy. First off, you're too late to the fun. It's already been done. That was last week's joke. Don't do it. Don't do it now. It's bad. It's irresponsible. I think the government's doing what they can and, and learning as they go. And that's what you're supposed to do, right? If you don't know, you, you do the best you can. And when you make mistakes, you learn from them and course correct. You know what's a little amazing to me, Spike, is how people expect people have this view of, oh, the government is massively incompetent. Also, the government should know everything instantly. <laughs> like, well, you have to kind of pick one or the other. You either allow for growth or you don't. Well, I, Same I'm, as any other group of people, whether it's corporations or religious institutions yeah. or whatever. You ha- Education, there are flawed people at all levels of life. Well, but we do that with everything. There, I mean, whether it's Biden is a buffoon or a criminal mastermind, or whether it's Trump is a buffoon or a criminal mastermind, you can't have it both ways. I'm speaking to myself in a mirror at this moment. So apparently you're the most incompetent person ever to hold the office, but you're also a diabolical Bond villain. Right, and we could be talking about 45 or 46 at this point. Talk about any press. Right, yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, Monday's President's Day, um, and it's a holiday here at the company. Um, are, you, do you, are you coming in to work? Of course. I, I was planning on coming in. <laughs> I'd like to do a show about the presidency on Monday. I'd like to take a little trip down memory lane. All these people who have their portraits hanging all over the, the walls of the White House, some of them are real bastards. Some of them are just, oof. Some of them were, were kind people that couldn't get out of their own way. You know, some people had great hearts 
and dime store mines. Even, even, yeah, like if you look at like Jimmy Carter, a lot of people yeah. didn't think he was a bright president, but he in his older years has shown that he is a genuinely good-hearted guy. Well, Regardless of yeah. what you think of his policies or his capabilities, he's shown that he genuinely cares about people. Uh, couldn't agree with you more. Plus, he was he worked on a nuclear submarine. I mean, the guy wasn't a slacker. You know, he, he was a peanut farmer, dirt, dirt, stereotype, yeehaw. Good luck running a peanut farm, by the way, folks. That's the, you know, idiots don't get to do that either. Well, now and in recent years, we've heard a lot about how people need to listen to the trades and working people and people in the, you know, right. agriculture and such. Well, look, there, there's there he Jimmy was. Carter's yeah. farming experience. Jimmy Carter had a, had a tough moment in history. You know, he really did. After the Nixon and Jerry Ford debacle, Jimmy Carter was just the nicest guy we had. And that's mainly the reason he won. He was the antithesis. And is that antithesis? Antithesis. Antithesis. Thank you. It's been a long day. It's also very hard because on one hand, you want want to think like some people are going to say, we want the president to be a nice guy. We want them to be a civil person who represents our country well, you know, in, in good stead. Other people think that you have to be a rather loud kind of brawler, which I understand. Like, that's part of Donald Trump's appeal. I'll give him that. Well, we People to... felt that he was going to get in there and call BS BS. A- 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 absolutely. And, uh, you know, we talk about Jimmy Carter. We got That's why we got Reagan. You know, we had the Iranian hostage situation. People attributed that to the weakness of Jimmy Carter. Here comes Ronald Reagan, this, this ho- straight out of Hollywood casting. You know, optimism, new day, in, new day in America, morning in America was the, was the line, right? And, and that's what we needed at that moment. Most of our presidents are a reaction to the previous. You're right about Trump being a reaction to what they saw was a tan suit wearing Obama, right? And then we got Joe Biden, the, the down-home, real guy, whatever, I'm still... Antithesis. Antithesis. Thank you. Thank you for letting me show off. No, it's been. It's, I appreciate you having my back, my friend. If we're playing tennis doubles, you'd be getting 95% of the shots tonight. Trust me. Um, it's Kyra Knights. I'm Spike O'Neill with Matt Butler. Thank God. We'll be right back after these. Nights. I'm Spike Neal along with Matt Butler, Lisa Brooks with us. Now, is this Lindsey Graham or is this or listen, Lindsey Graham? Oh my God! <laughs> what is a this, voice he has! What a voice! In his previous recording, yeah. hiding his talents. <laughs> is this Lindsey Buckingham or Fleetwood Mac? It's Fleetwood Mac. Okay. Obtained on the night, I believe. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Lindsey Graham. Oh, I've been trying so hard not to go politics. I just don't have the. I don't have the. Uh, have the energy for what the, would Lindsey Graham sing if he were a rock star? I think Matt has something in mind. No? Such a good question. <laughs> the possibilities are endless. Yes. Sometimes it's hard to be a woman. <laughs> Giving all your love to just one. Perhaps something from president. the Wizard of Oz if I only had a spine. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh my okay, God. Okay, okay. Oh, we, oh, we, oh, Trump. That's what he would sing. You'd have a, anyway, we're not going there. We're not going yep. there. Hey, here's a border story that I think is a good news story. 
It's about the border and a, a man smuggling hundreds of illegals into America. It's from the Canadian border and Blaine. Oh, right. Yeah. A man pled guilty to smuggling hundreds of Indian nationals into Seattle using his Uber through the Blaine border crossing. U.S. port of entry. First off, an Uber driver coming back from Canada with hundreds of Indian nationals sneaking their way into America. Now, I, I say it's a good news story, and it's really not. Of course it's not. Um, but the fact that he, first off, pled guilty, he was caught and pled guilty, is a good thing. He had 17 different, they had 17 different Uber accounts taking part in this, this crime ring. They, they were making $80,000 in charges that they were using to charge as much as $11,000 per person for their smuggling services. They were mules. They were Uber mules bringing people into this country illegally. Now, as we had the story earlier this weekend, as we understood it, the Uber drivers themselves were not aware of what was going on. Do you, does your information say something different? Well, about if that? someone – the story, the headline I have from Como News – Man pleads guilty to smuggling hundreds of Indian nationals right. into Seattle using Uber. Mm-hmm. Now, if he was unaware that they were illegals? No, no, uh, that he was aware, but that the drivers themselves were. Right, 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 right. Uh, they so, didn't this know. man used right. 17 different Uber accounts. Right. The drivers, right, you're, my, I wasn't being clear about that. You're okay. absolutely right. The drivers themselves were unaware that they were committing a crime. But this guy who ran a fleet of Ubers to bring Indian nationals, hundreds, of Indian nationals into into Seattle, pled guilty. I say it's a good news story because I would expect it to be going the other way. I would expect people trying to leave this country to go to Canada. Right. The fact that people are trying to get into America is a yay, yay America. It's a great day in America. People are sneaking in again and not just, you know, people who are on the southern border hauling fentanyl, I know. And that's another story. Well, we don't hear it happening much over the Canadian border, but we hear no. a lot happening at the southern border. So well, it's interesting in that sense, too. Well, it's, it, we're right. It, we need a wall, but we need it between us and Canada, apparently, not the one down south that they think we need. I saw one of the uh, the hearings, and I mentioned this to Matt the other day. Um, Max Frost is the freshman representative from Florida, the 25-year-old youngest representative ever in Congress, in one of the Senate oversight hearings, or excuse me, the, the, the House oversight hearings, the newly minted Republican-controlled House are going to get to the bottom of everything. And they're talking about one of them, uh, one of the hearings is about the open border at the U.S. southern border and the fentanyl crisis that's gripping America. So Max Frost, 25-year-old, take, took a bunch of old white guys to school by saying, can we enter into the record, Mr. Chairman, Jim Jordan, Republican, firebrand, that the Cato Institute just uh, published a study that 90% of the fentanyl coming into America is being brought in by U.S. citizens through official points of entry. 90% from the Cato Institute who know what they're talking about. This isn't Rachel Maddow saying this or Lawrence O'Donnell on MSNBC or whomever, whatever liberal wonk you want to say is just blowing propaganda. This is a fact. So when we talk about border security, we really should talk about border security, whether it's Canada with uh, – Indian nationals being smuggled in by an Uber ring or the southern border where people are actually seeking a better life. And the propaganda that they're all drug mules and they're bringing in fentanyl to kill Americans, part of – it was Paul Gozar was on the same committee, the 
representative from Arizona who I think it was seven of his eight siblings made a commercial saying he wasn't fit to run for public office. And when oh. he was, you ever heard about that? No. Oh, yeah. When Paul Gosar was first running for election from Arizona, his siblings got together and made spots saying this guy's a nut job. He's not fit to be a U.S. House member. And he, he won anyway because he said everything they wanted to hear the population in Arizona. He got elected. Well, he's up there saying that President Biden's plan to turn over control of America to the, 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 the cartels of South America and want an open border. You know, he's, he's blowing this smoke around. And Max Frost goes up there and says, let's put – can we put into record – first he said, I want to make sure I heard it right. The gentleman from Arizona said President Biden was in league with the drug cartels of Mexico to have open borders so that they could smuggle fentanyl. He said that. Am I right, Mr. Chairman? Yes. Okay, I got it right. I don't want to misquote my fellow representative. And then he laid out the facts that 90 percent of the fentanyl coming into this country, which is a problem, is being brought in by U.S. citizens, smuggled in through established points of entry. Nobody's carrying 85, 90 pounds, 100 pounds of fentanyl across the desert to sneak into America. They're bringing their babies. They're bringing their babies because they are living in countries that are controlled by drug cartels that, you know, traffic in human trafficking, drug trafficking, murder people at will. Of course, they seek a better life. That's what we're here for. That's what the lady in the harbor in, in New York said. So anyway, I didn't want to get too political, but I thought that was a great moment. And the fact that people are trying to sneak into this country, even from Canada... I think it's a great day. I'm glad it happened. I'm glad he got caught. You know, everyone should come in legally. The people seeking illegal entry into the country, they're the criminals. So were they people from India coming yes. into yes. Canada yes. from India? Then they would meet this right. guy who would bring him in. Right. And they, so they were trying to gain illegal entry into this okay. country. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. And the, at, through a legal point of entry. That's the whole point. The, these people weren't trekking through the woods of northern Washington or, you know, or Idaho or Montana or any of the states that are along our northern border where there's miles and miles and miles of natural wilderness that is the only border. They weren't trying to, they weren't, you know, the Von Trapps crossing the mountains into Austria. They were coming in in an Uber through Blaine in a comfortable car with a, probably a very fresh smell. And a and bottle lo- of water. And a bottle of water, yes. <laughs> Remember, four stars. Can you give me 50 stars on that? You bet I can. Ding, 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 ding. Absolutely. Yeah, I saw that story, and I'm like, you know, that's a story worth talking about. The border, of course, we all, national border security is national security. I agree. I couldn't agree more. Let's just talk in real facts. Let's not talk in hyperbole. Let's not talk, let's not lie about what's going on to make your political points. It doesn't do anybody any good. And there was one more story. Oh, the other story I want to talk about were the rabbits that Lisa, you mentioned in the news. Yes. You know, when I when I heard this story, you imagine just... Horrific environments, mm-hmm. you know, dirty, unhealthy. These people in was it Puyallup? Yeah, yeah Puyallup. Puyallup. They, it's a mental illness story because these, this lady had rabbit hutches. These were these were pretty well cared for animals. Yeah. The problem was that there were so many. It started with two. It started. Is that really the case? No, and they I'm, just kept, I'm just assuming. Oh God, love you. You're at sea, hook, line, and sinker, folks. There I am. Yeah, we just got two rabbits. I asked for two males. They gave me one of each. Now I have 246 rabbits. Won't you help? No, seriously, these these rabbits were in rabbit hutches and they were being cared for as best to the, as they could. But when you get up to 246, you obviously don't have the facilities, the space, and they're looking for homes to adopt these bunnies out. Yeah, or even fosters at this point. Oh, if really? you can just take them for, you know, a couple of weeks, a couple of months until they fu- find homes or something. Because now they're at the, the Humane Society of Tacoma and Pierce County, yeah. the Humane Society, and they do a, fant- a fantastic job. 
but they're grossly understaffed and underfinanced. And if you can't foster one of these bunnies, maybe you can make a little donation. Yeah, they've got a really easy to access link on their website right now, just if you want to donate to feed the bunnies or take care of their medical expenses. That'd be a really nice thing to do. And that's, again, the Pierce County Tacoma Humane Society. If you feel like, uh, you know, you want to do something nice, but you don't want to bring a rabbit home for your kids because my sister has a pet rabbit. They're so soft. They're so soft and they're beautiful, but they're they're temperamental little buggers yeah. and they'll bite you quickly if, if, they, if you're not one of the family. It's like that's nine where Monty Python got the joke. Oh, the killer I mean, rabbits. Yeah, the killer rabbits. Yeah. Break into my sister's house. He's like, oh, how cute. Next thing you know, it's Cairo Nights. I'm Spike O'Neill. Thank you, Lisa. Thanks for hanging with me. Fun to talk. And Matt Butler. We'll be right back after these. the story yesterday and I was just intrigued. Elvis Presley's private plane had been sitting in the desert literally rotting for almost four decades in New Mexico. Elvis Presley's private jet, a 1962 Lockheed 1329 Jetstar, has been sitting in New Mexico, abandoned for nearly 40 years. Elvis had bought the plane less than a year before he died in 1977 for $840,000. It had in it all the latest amenities you would expect from a private jet in the late 70s. And it was nothing but Elvis. I mean, red velvet interior. Gold you know, hardware, gold-plated, gold-toned hardware. I'm sure Elvis didn't have the gold commode. Some other celebrities have been rumored to have. But, you know, marble, gold fixtures everywhere. It was Elvis's plane. And it's been sitting in the desert in New Mexico for nearly 40 years, just rotting away. It went up for auction last week. And the initial bid, opening bid, was $100,000. Before it was uh, the auction closed, Elvis's private jet, all documentation, 1962 Lockheed jet, sold for $260,000. Now, Matt and I were talking, I think it was last week, about, you know, bidding, what was this week? Bidding on, you know, mementos from history, from your heroes, from your passions. You know, I think it was Rod Stewart's initial recording tape. His first ever recording session, when he still didn't even have a record deal yet, went up for auction this week. This is kind of, I think, in the same boat. Elvis's jet. But for two hundred and sixty grand, that's not something you just park in the backyard and say, hey, you guys want to go see Elvis's jet? I'm hoping, and it doesn't say in the story that I'm reading here, which is brought to us by an English press, by the way, called The Express. They gave the story with... Uh, a sale price of 216 pounds sterling. 
which equates in trans- to a, about 260K American. Doesn't say who bought the jet. But I guarantee you somebody is going to refurbish this jet. Kevin's got wood paneling, wood trim on the window shades, window shades, VCR, cassette player, ooh, and a Kenmore microwave oven. A Kenmore microwave. All the latest 1977 technology right there. You know, I'd, if you imagine having the kind of jingle that you could just go out and buy whatever you wanted to buy, go after that tchotchke from your hero, Elvis's jet. I think my idea about this is some savvy person needs to snap this up, refurb it a bit, just a little bit, keep mm-hmm. it authentic, though, and make it an Airbnb. Oh. Because how many Elvis fans would love to spend a night in his jet? It, they could make that money back so many times over it's not even fun. You put it in a hangar in Vegas. Now you're, you're spot on, man. I was thinking like somewhere near Graceland, but no, no, no. Real estate's too expensive down there. Especially to be close enough to Graceland. But in Vegas, where Elvis is king still to this day, you build a hangar, a nice comfy hangar, and Elvis's jet Airbnb, the true Airbnb. Oh, that's a great idea. Because you know Elvis's jet doesn't have just red velvet seating. It's got a red velvet bed in there somewhere. And if not, it'd be a quick conversion. You know? Don't settle for the jungle room. Elvis's jet. That's a great idea, man. Nice paint job on the outside. You know? Elvis music playing there. Comes with a catered meal. You know, fried peanut butter and nanner sandwiches or whatever. What, you know, you're, you can pick from Elvis's menu. I got an Elvis cookbook at home. You know, the Elvis's favorite recipe. Somebody gave to me one year for a birthday present, I think it was. I've got it at home. One of the few things, all the, all the weird stuff I have in my life, that, that's something I'm not going to part with. Elvis's cookbook. Yep, Elvis's jet was rotting in a New Mexico desert for 40 years, nearly 40 years. I, that's what blows my mind about this story. Was that it just sat there in the sun, getting be the outside the paints bleached off of it basically, the 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 cockpit the seats are, you know rotted from the from sun exposure, and you know s- s- pilot sweat from the seventies. I imagine it wouldn't take much to get it airborne, but like Matt says, you don't even need to get it airborne. You need to make it a destination. You know, maybe even you know tour it, and then keep it for. An Airbnb for you know for the right customers. One night with you <laughs> Yo, in your Airbnb awesome. Elvis plane. Oh. What for. It wasn't Elvis's only plane, by the way. Too, he also had a custom Corvette Convair 880 that he called the Lisa Marie. Went by the the call sign Hound Dog One. And the Jetstar was Hound Dog 2. That's beautiful. It's Cairo Nights. I'm Spike O'Neill with Matt Butler. We're going to do something special for the 9 o'clock hour. And I appreciate you guys' understanding of this. We're going to replay some of the segments we had this afternoon. Jack Stein and I got to host from 12 to 3 today. And I love working with Jack Stein. He's got interesting points of view. And he's an an excellent co-host. We're going to play some of that for the 9 o'clock hour tonight. Hope you enjoy it. We'll be right back after these.